Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Job Talk, the podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not set at the water cooler. Hey, Liz. Hey, Kat. Today, we have another cat on the show, Katrina Kibben, founder of Three Ears Media. Katrina is another recruiting professional who's used her knowledge of the recruiting world and her love of writing to build her company around helping recruiters be better writers. Katrina writes, speaks, and teaches recruiting teams in hopes of bettering hiring communication. I resonate so much with Katrina's content because we share the belief that when recruiters write well, we can connect with our audiences so much better. Katrina, welcome to Real Job Talk. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Please tell us about your journey and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, it was a weird road. So <laughs> um, I, I was an army brat. I moved a lot as a kid, uh, 13 times before oh, wow. I graduated high school. Um, oh yeah, so, so I was well accustomed to things like networking before I even knew that that's what they called it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just knew how to fit in. Um, and so I went to school for communications and marketing. And the reason I say that is because my path it brings in those things over and over again, but I had a million different job titles. I think anybody who looked at my resume today would be like, we need to tighten this up a little bit. <laughs> it wouldn't make sense, but it does if you look at my company today, right? Mm-hmm. So I actually started by teaching kids to read. I met an executive of an HR tech company. I was teaching his five-year-old how to read. And funny enough, her name was Hope. And that oh. actually was a turning point in my whole life. Um, he, I'll never forget this moment. I was kind of explaining this program, right? Uh, reading comprehension. So when you teach a kid to read, you teach sight words first, and then we work on how all the words fit together. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of selling that next program and he leans back. He puts both of his hands behind his head and he goes, and he just gives me this weird look. And I, I remember thinking, what the hell? And because I had no filter and I was 22 years old, I said, what the hell? No, I didn't. <laughs> I actually said, you know, uh, did I say something wrong? Is that, you know, do you have a question? And he said, no, I like you and I'm going to hire you. No joke. Nice. That was my first job in an HR tech company. I sat in the middle of a recruiting office. I was, you know, one of two people working on this great idea. It was basically LinkedIn without the networking. So it was a great idea, but it was missing the most important part. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It, yes. it was like missing the frosting on the cake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I I went there. I actually went to monster.com after that. I worked at a lot of HR tech companies and learned a lot about candidates, how candidates operate and how they search for jobs. This was during the dot-com bubble. And I was focused on candidate content. Worked at those HR tech companies, eventually landed as a managing editor of a blog about recruiting. And Mm. I think what made that really interesting was that I had always been a writer, but I had no confidence in myself. I also had no confidence in my information. Mm. I was an HR tech marketer Mm -hmm. trying to take a stab at writing to recruiters. I didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. Thank God. I was told just to be a student. Oh, nice. And I spent four years, I joke, getting my PhD in recruiting because all (laughs) I did was talk to recruiters and ask them how they did it. Mm -hmm. And I had no knowledge, so I had no assumptions, right? Mm -hmm. I could come into it completely blank and just learn from them. And Mm -hmm. that built up that, you know, PhD, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the the library of knowledge. I took Mm -hmm. that and I I got the itch to do the work, took that and became a technical copywriter for Fortune 100s. 
writing their candidate experience content. And I eventually felt like, and I'll be really blunt with both of you, I felt like great copy, great writing could change everything for people. Mm -hmm. And that talent of the talent that I have, which I think is very unique Mm -hmm. of writing for recruiting with that unique recruiting knowledge, but also being a copywriter fundamentally, Mm -hmm. that combination shouldn't be limited to Fortune 100s because they don't want to tell the truth. (laughs) right they want to be a collaborative team environment where everyone can succeed and thrive and we can all grow together and that's (laughs) yes it's not real and Mm -hmm. i like to be real i like to write things that are real and so that's a really long-winded way of saying how i ended up here starting a company that teaches recruiters to write because Mm -hmm. i believe that recruiters are talking to people about their dreams not just work And if Mm -hmm. they can write something that truly resonates with people, we can change everything about work because we can change how we feel about it and how we see it. I love what you said about being real because that's something (laughs) that is uh, very much in alignment with Liz and my philosophy here at Real Job Talk. So, and I think, I think being real as part of the recruitment process is incredibly important too, because, you know, most recruiters want to make sure that they're you know, not only having a good fit for the client, for the company, but also for the candidate. The better, the more real we can be in the process, the better we can truly identify fit. Well, and I think recruiting isn't always set up for that realness because so many recruiters are paid per fill mm-hmm. and they're paid only if they get a fill or they're, you know, incentivized. You have to fill 20 jobs per quarter. Mm-hmm. And so, all of a sudden that matchmaking and that communication gets a little blurrier because their job relies on production goals. Yeah. Relies on it versus relying on seeing people as people. And so I know in Kat and my recruiting practices, we focus on the human side and Mm -hmm. not everyone's going to hire us and that's fine. Right. Uh, but when they do, they know they have someone who's like an authentic matchmaker for playing on both sides and telling both sides that they are on both teams. And I think that's really powerful. And I think that writing and job descriptions and employment branding writing and all the writing we do about our companies, the more real it is, then the better off we're going to be in terms of retaining our talent because they're going to see that everything's aligned. Mm-hmm. And Kat, I think the service that you're offering to recruiting teams, especially, I'm thinking of myself when I was out of school, I started as a recruiter and how this kind of knowledge could have really changed the game for me then. So I love that you're doing that. So we invited you here today to, to kind of pull the curtains back on the recruiting process and hoping that you can help, you know, teach others how to tailor their resume that will, that will actually get their resume seen. So let's start with, let's start with that. What you think a good resume is. Yeah. So, well, I actually, can I take one step back and just differentiate between an external Mm -hmm. and internal recruiter? Oh, absolutely. We've, we've done that on the show, but it's, it's always a good refresher because, because they're really different animals, right? Exactly. Because your resume, I actually think it looks a little different if you're Mm -hmm. applying to an internal recruiter or an external recruiter. So I wanted to give this little bit of context before I answer my question. Mm -hmm. So the difference between an internal and external recruiter is simply that an internal recruiter works for the company. Mm -hmm. An external recruiter is a resource that's like an on-demand resource to help fill a job. And I think that's probably the most simple 
way that we could describe mm-hmm. it because there are obviously different incentive models mm-hmm. and things like that. However, you know, when I was a job seeker last and I needed to update my resume and go out and apply, I actually created my version that went to internal companies that I tweaked and my version that went to staffing companies. Because we do know that staffing, aka external recruiting, um, there are just a more volume of jobs. That's why staffing firms exist is because Mm -hmm. companies don't want to scale as quickly as they have to, to meet some hiring demands. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're a moving company and you have to create a call center and you have to fill it with 500 seats. Mm -hmm. You would probably call a staffing company to get that filled because you're not hiring 50 recruiters to make a hundred placements over the next blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm -hmm. So the reason I say that is so when I look at a resume, the first thing I do is create a, the internal version So the internal version is one that describes the projects and success that you've had up to that point, right? I I say a good resume looks, it basically takes information from the job posting and it replicates it into the resume the way they say it. And something that most people won't tell you. Okay, I'm going to pull back the curtain. (laughs) Yay! Most recruiters have never ever even seen the person who does this job. Mm -hmm. Never even seen them, let alone know what they do, how they do, or why they do it. They have no clue. I'm not saying recruiters are stupid. I'm saying that they fill a lot of different angles. They work on a lot of different things. I think that's what makes recruiting so hard in the first place is that we're expected to be good at a billion things and have knowledge, institutional knowledge about a million things, especially if you're an internal recruiter, right? Mm -hmm. So I want every job seeker to go into the resume writing process thinking this person has no idea what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Yes. The job posting is typically their only point of reference. What you're looking at, let's assume that's their only point of reference. You need to make your job posting and that are that their job posting and your resume as close as possible. Mm-hmm. That I think that's step one. Either version you're writing, mm-hmm. absolutely. And people don't get that. Like I, I had someone ask me about a resume. I'm like, look at the job postings of the kinds of jobs you want. And match. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, really? Yeah. And throw and in like, some of your accomplishments while you're at it. Well, exactly. make your accomplishments match what they're looking for your accomplishments to be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if they say you should have experience as a marketing associate and you were an associate of marketing, it better say yeah, marketing associate verbatim. Verbatim. The nuance of wording is not going to stop you from getting this job unless you don't do it because Mm -hmm. then you will never be found in their ATS in the first place. An ATS being an applicant tracking Mm -hmm. system. And I think we've, I I feel like we've said this before, Kat, but people don't realize that recruiters spend about four seconds, if that, looking at their resume. So when I'm looking for a marketing associate and you have associate of marketing, it may not catch my eye in that four seconds. But if I see marketing associate, marketing associate, you're going to, you're much more likely, I'll say, to catch my eye. And the only time you really need to say associate of marketing is if they're having you fill out an application that you have to sign. Mm -hmm. Because let's face it, resumes are marketing tools. I love that you said that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are hesitant 
to make that edit, to -hmm. change that title. Um, Mm -hmm. So one thing that I actually coach recruiters on that works for candidates too is researching your job title and understanding which one has more search volume. Mm -hmm. Because the one with more search volume is better for your resume. Mm -hmm. It means that more people are searching it, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you can use a tool called Google Trends Mm -hmm. and look and be able to compare typical job titles. So for example, if you're an HR business partner, you could compare the traffic on HR business partner versus human resources business partner, Mm -hmm. right? Something as simple as that can actually impact traffic by two thirds to your post. Example, um, office assistant and administrative assistant. One gets 80,000 searches a month and one gets 4,000 searches a month. Which one do you want on your resume? The administrative assistant, right? That's the one that has the more, yeah. Exactly. You want the Mm 80,000 and that's a free tool. You literally just plug in the job titles Mm -hmm. and it'll show you how much search volume they get and which one gets more. And to Kat's earlier point about, like if you're keeper of the culture, uh-uh. that's like, even if that's your official title, not on your resume, because mm-hmm. what the heck does that mean? I'm not going to spend time figuring it out. So you go in, oh, that's really an office manager. That's the title you go with. And again, if you're filling out the application, your official title, that's where you put that. I love when you're reading someone's resume and you go, what does this mean? And they're like, well, what I meant was, and you're like, no, ah, you, you messed. We're, no, I, you don't even need to explain it to me. You need to rewrite this part. If I don't get right. it, nobody gets it. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if I'm coaching you and I don't know what you're talking about and I care and I'm co- like, you're paying me to spend time with you on this and I don't get it, you're host. Nobody's getting it. Exactly. So someone's sitting down with their like blank piece of paper. Like you, you mentioned, you know, math, making things match, but what are some other things that people should really be aware of if they're writing a new resume or if it's rusty or not working for them? Like, what do you say that they do? Yeah. So I'm just going to go with my experience. I'm no resume mm-hmm. expert. I, I don't even do resume writing. I typically write for the recruiter. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but Of course, people hear writing for recruiting and they're like, oh, you'll do my resume. So I get a lot of them. (laughs) I only do the ones for my friends. So so the things that I think I see most often when it's not working, um, the first one is going way too far back. Yes. Like I I have friends, right? We're in our 30s, our mid 30s. That's like mid career. You know, like you're getting Mm -hmm. into your Mm -hmm. career Mm -hmm. and they have their TGI Fridays waitressing job. Buried. You don't need to know like that you flipped pages. burgers. I know. Oh, and I'm like, okay. nah, <laughs> don't even put it on there. Like, it's okay to just remove. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have every single job that no. you've had since college. Like, it's just not necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I would tell people, you know, you need to think about length in general, right? Um, you guys probably have better advice on this, so please correct me. But for me, what I do when I'm editing, if you're at 10, you get one page, 10 or less. And honestly, like you have to have significant career experience to get to my second page. Mm-hmm. I'd almost say like five to 10, but it's all about how many times you moved. I really mm-hmm. want to keep it to one because to me, when I'm looking at resumes and I see someone with one page at 10, I'm like, oh, they know how to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Like This is concise. And they're not a jumper. 
Because if I see two, three pages on 10 years, I assume it's a jumper. And by jumper, I mean career hopper. Okay. Yeah. Um, anything over that, go for your two, three pages. But, oh, or my favorite, when people start listing like completely irrelevant um, qualifications and like uh, things they know how to do. They're like, I wipe butts. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> like, completely random. Yeah. I'm not wiping butts, but you know, <laughs> we understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the or things thing, that are obvious in the job, like, of course, like I know how to use a computer. Like, right. Yeah. Clearly, yeah. you know how to use a computer because you've been in tech for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the you don't need to list ramble. Microsoft Word. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Microsoft Word. Don't even get started. <laughs> okay, so the, the last one is the ramble. And so mm-hmm. what I mean by the ramble, and this mm-hmm. is because I'm a copywriter and I'm just picking. We got it. We, you, but explain it to our audience. We got it because we've read so yeah. many resumes. But yeah. Okay, so what happens is you say you did something and then you say you did it in a different way. And then <laughs> if you're really just like, going for that home run. You actually say it in a third way, the exact mm-hmm. same thing. So mm-hmm. it's like, uh, build a marketing database by generating new leads <laughs> um, and building out more database to, and like build in three different yeah. synonyms. Like mm-hmm. Originated the program for building the pipeline for sales. In the yeah. original sales requirement. Oh. Yeah. Well, and I love what you say about editing. Cause like, Especially, I feel like in marketing or in other domains where writing and editing is an important skill to have. If I see your resume is like a 20 page, you know, story of my life, starting with the burger flipping, I'm like, mm-hmm. how are you supposed to write my marketing docs? Like, mm-hmm. you can't, this is your doc about you. And it's, I don't know what the heck you do. It's unclear. It's rambling. And so I feel like, especially if you are in a career on a career track where that is an important skill set. But even if you're like a coder and it's, you know, you're a developer and you've got a 10 page resume, like, what's your code look like? Sit up, hot mess because your resume is. I think the key here is don't ramble. Yeah, I just rambled to say that. Clarity is king. Mm-hmm. Right. Everyone's like, oh, content is king. Oh, no, 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 no. More is not more here. <laughs> That's right. Right. That's right. We Clarity is king. Impression. Like mm-hmm. Clarity. So what about like keywords and things like that? Like, people are like, you know, do I have an objective? What do I, you know? So I think that there's, there's a lot of different schools of thought, but in terms of using it as a marketing doc, talk a little bit about the keyword factor and the findability factor other than not having a ridiculous title. Absolutely. So objectives, I'm personally against them, but we can talk about some at a time. Um, Keywords. So I'm all about using free tools to figure stuff out. So the Mm -hmm. way that I approach keywords is I actually take the job posting and I put it in a free word cloud generator. Uh, Literally, if you type in free word cloud Mm -hmm, generator, mm -hmm. you'll get freewordcloudgenerator.com. It's my personal favorite. (laughs) You (laughs) click on file and you can add it in six different ways. You'll add that content and it will literally count how many times they use specific words. I will bet you money that those are the words the recruiter who knows nothing about this work is going to use to search Mm -hmm. for this candidate. So what you want to do is look at those words. Inevitably, you know, the those, then (laughs) whatever's will float to the top, but the keywords also will. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure maybe the top five keywords are in your resume somewhere. The number one keyword needs to be there at least three times. 
That's great advice. Okay, that's good. And I would say towards the top, probably too, like in in the beginning. Yeah, definitely within the first half page, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way that I read resumes, for example, is usually, so I'm looking at a piece of paper, which you guys cannot see, but you can probably hear. Um, so whenever I look at a piece of a resume, the first thing I do is I scan the job title, the first job title and the first bullet. Mm-hmm. I scan down and I just look at titles and then I look at whatever they've put at the bottom. Because I think that's always pretty interesting, right? Because that's where mm-hmm. people put what I call like the little Easter eggs or like... Mm-hmm which you don't need to do, by the way. There's no need for that, but that's just my gut check. And once I've done all three, then I decide if I'm going to give it a couple more seconds. So I think a lot of the tactics I've already talked about and making sure that that keyword, those keywords are in that first sentence will get you that extra 15 seconds that you might need to get to the top of the pile. I think you bring up a good point. Kat, how do you read resumes? Well, I, I don't read as many resumes as I used to. There were times when I was reading one time when I had 40 bucks on my desk. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I was probably scanning 500 resumes a day, mm-hmm. you know, so I would skip the cover letter completely <laughs> and have a similar approach. I would look at the beginning. I would look at the job titles all the way down to the bottom. And also, you know, what people share. <laughs> I like your, I like your terminology, Easter eggs, Katrina. Mm-hmm. What people share at the bottom can sometimes make or break whether you continue to look. Totally. Like, I love when people put like whiskey aficionado. I'm like, why are you pointing that out? Like what? I mean, what is that is not relevant. Like if that comes up in some conversation at some point, fine. But like, why is that on your resume? But um, I, cause I do similar, like I look at kind of a big picture, look at the top of it Mm -hmm. just to make sure that, you know, like there's a chance in Hades that this person's going to get the job. And then I read bottom up because I want to see career progression. How have you gotten Mm -hmm. to, how have you gotten to where you are today? And so I kind of tell the story of their life. But first I find out if they're whiskey drinker at the bottom Mm because people are so weird down there. Um, Uh, The religious stuff too. Um, Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, unless it's incredible volunteer experience, cut it out. Yeah. Yeah. Direct application. Mm -hmm. As in, I look at the job posting and I look at this and there's a clear tie between Mm -hmm. these two pieces of content. Otherwise, don't waste your time. Get out. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. (laughs) So let's talk about like having different resumes because, you know, you talked about internal and external. It's hard to tell the difference. Talk about how you market yourself in different ways to different audiences a little bit more. Yeah. So I always had a base. When I would look for jobs, typically there were a few different job titles or types of jobs that Mm -hmm. I was typically going after. Okay. So for someone like me, um, the last time I was looking for work was right before I got that job as a managing editor. So I'd been a marketer for a really long time, but I also was thinking like, oh, I could go into employer brand. I could go into something like that. And then I was like, oh, well, I'm also a good writer. Like maybe I can be a content strategist or I could just be the writer. Okay. And so to me, while I have the flexibility and the skills to broadly cover any of those jobs pretty efficiently, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you look at the kind of the value proposition of this business, even you could see those pieces. I, I don't think each resume would tell the same story. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my approach was to start with the one where it was the most obvious. 
Mm-hmm. The story was the most obvious. So for me, if you were to look at my LinkedIn uh, up to that point, you would have said the marketing was the story that was the most obvious. Mm-hmm. So I would have started with that version. I would have gone and got a template and edited from there. Honestly, mm-hmm. like I probably would have tried to find my old job descriptions and pulled mm-hmm. some of those one-liners. I would have tried to find some similar job postings, jobs mm-hmm. I would love to apply to. Mm-hmm. And I'll pull some stuff from there too to create my base. Smart. That's a really good tip there. Very actionable. Then you do the next one. The next one that again is not the most far off. Do not start off with your like, I worked as a concession manager at the zoo and now I want to be a zoologist. So I'm going to create my zoologist. No. Concession manager is going to take their next step to go to the concession director and Mm -hmm. right. So for me, my next thing was content, right? If you go over marketing, it kind of makes sense. Like if you're a writer, clearly. Mm -hmm. So I'd create that version. Again, go out and find jobs that I would apply to. Put that information in there. Tweak it. Tweak it, right? Knowing that I'm going to tweak it every time. Right. Mm -hmm. And continue that process. I actually think in most cases, there are two or three reasonably. And we need to start thinking that way. I think job seekers are very self-limiting in that you're like, oh, I was a VP of marketing. That means I'll be a VP of marketing everywhere. And that's not how things work. (laughs) Job titles aren't real. I learned this when I became my own CEO and I realized (laughs) that I could call myself a ninja happiness guru of magic if I wanted to. And Mm -hmm. everybody would just have to go with it because job titles are completely made up and they're different Mm -hmm. at every single company. So I highly suggest that you have those versions kind of thinking about your experience more broadly, but also thinking about the different job titles that fall under that Mm -hmm. and doing your searches more broadly so you can kind of widen that funnel and actually get access to the jobs that you're qualified for. That's great advice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say someone is listening to this, you know, listening to you talk and thinking they're not a good writer. Where can they start? And what do you suggest for someone whose strengths aren't in writing? I would tell you, everyone thinks they're not a good writer, right? You are not alone. Don't be hard on yourself. But Mm -hmm. I would tell you that 99% of the people I've met, I'm a writing trainer, right? This is a big Mm -hmm. part of my business. and. 100% of people tell me I'm not confident and 99% of them simply have a block between their brain and their hands, Mm -hmm. right? That there's something, some moment in their life and we won't go down the like Oprah (laughs) path of what bad thing happened to you and who hurt you. Okay, Katrina, but that's where, you know, that's where it's interesting always. (laughs) fourth grade teacher. That fourth grade teacher. I don't want to talk about Mrs. Rubenstein from third grade who made you diagram sentences, but somewhere along the way, so many of us are told we weren't talented Mm -hmm. and that's not true. We, we just built it up. And mm-hmm. we're probably good at a lot of other things. And so we just kind of pushed that one to the side. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that I would tell you is if you don't feel confident as a writer, one, steal content from other people. That's <laughs> literally what I just told you to do. Go to right. look at other job postings mm-hmm. and put them on your resume. The mm-hmm. other thing I would tell you to do is to do some voice to text. Mm-hmm. So the reason that I like voice to text is it removes the block between your brain and your hands, mm-hmm. quite literally, because it puts something between it. Right. Mm -hmm. And with your phone, open a doc and just talk about the work you've done. 
Mm-hmm. Ask yourself maybe a, a series of questions. And I imagine coaches like both of you could help with those questions to ask yourself. Um, but some of the things that I like to ask when I'm helping friends with these conundrums, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, are simple things like in the last year, what are you most proud of? Mm-hmm. Um, if you are having the best day ever, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, if your boss thinks you are just the most bad beep person <laughs> in the whole world, what, what did you accomplish for them? Mm-hmm. When do they think you're like the bad mamma jamma, right? Mm-hmm. And just, it's, I love it. I secretly love it. And I, I wish, like, honestly, part of me is like, man, maybe I should do this because I get such joy mm-hmm. out of that moment when I hear them talk about their pride in their work. That's actually why I do what I do on the other side is because everything that I write for an employer is always centered in the voice of humans, just like you, job seeker. It's mm-hmm. always centered around being able to connect with you psychologically so you can see your dream. Because mm-hmm. I think that is way better than now hiring in Lansing, Michigan. Like, <laughs> yeah. through that. That's not a dream. And we can dream. So why not? Amen. You want the right person to see themselves in that seat realistically because it's represented authentically. Absolutely. And, and I want someone to believe that they could change their life. Because we all know that people do not look for jobs willy-nilly. You do not wake up on a Wednesday morning and go, "Mm, I'm going to quit my job today. I'm just so over this. Screw it. I'm out. No, you do not do that because there's too much on the line. Mm -hmm. Up to and including your perception of yourself. Mm -hmm. Right? And I believe that recruiters have to have that mentality. And then that's probably the other piece of the writing side is that as a job seeker, as a recruiter, we have to picture a person on the other side of this. hundred percent. So a recruiter who's writing a job posting should be picturing the best person mm-hmm. and a job and a candidate who's writing their resume should be picturing how they could be their best. Tell that story, write that down. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also like writing it broadly enough that the really awesome person that has most of the skills, but maybe hasn't done something, but could learn it in a week that they're not intimidated by it or say, no, that can't be me because I haven't done X. Like write it broadly enough so that it casts a wider net and gets the talented people that you want. I tell people all the time, you have one job, one. You ready for it? (laughs) You need the right person to say, yes, I can do this work. That's it. That's it. (laughs) <laughs> that's all you have to do. Yeah. I want you to picture like sitting down at a bar restaurant, you know, months ago in your dreams, <laughs> you sit down and you say to this person, you know, got this job and they're like, Oh yeah. Tell me about it. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that goes both ways, but so often we picture this, like, I don't know, like an Oz like character, right? Like, <laughs> oh, right. The Oz is going to get your resume. Like, no, no. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. What else, like, would you want to pull back the curtain on how it works that would help somebody as they enter? You know, and and we are all sitting here recording this. We're all still in quarantine, and the job market has changed drastically in the last month and a half. So, what would you tell the person who's been furloughed or laid off, who's like entering the job market at this point in terms of standing out in terms of process? as it is today. 
Absolutely. So Whereas hopefully it'll be like when quarantine is over. Cause I think it will change. I think what it is today and what it'll be hopefully a month or two from now are different. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a few things that I would tell people to do because I think the first thing you have to do is get your psychology right. Mm-hmm. When you get laid off or you get furloughed, things get a little wonky in our heads. That's mm-hmm. just real. That's human. That like I told you, I've been laid off. I've been a job seeker. I'm not coming at this being like, well, I started my own company when I was 18 and I've been doing that ever since. <laughs> like I have been laid off twice in my career, mm-hmm. right? I I have had a layoff three days before I signed a mortgage. Oh, ouch. Right. I know how this feels. Okay. So I think the first thing I just really want people to consider is themselves. Give yourself a little bit of grace, give yourself a little bit of room. If you're not productive every single day to 100% max, it's okay. Start with what we already talked about. Create some versions of your resume. Mm -hmm. And then there's actually a few things that I, I tell every single person who calls me, and especially right now. The first thing I tell them about is a really cool search that I actually figured out a couple weeks ago because I was doing a little research for my company, right? I wanted to see who's hiring now. There's two ways you can see that. The first way you can see that, so if you're a new college grad or somebody with very little career experience and you're flexible, BLS.gov. You can look at unemployment by sector. So you can see which sectors actually grew last month despite Mm -hmm. the massive layoffs. You can see which ones were impacted the most and which ones are impacted the least. If I were a new college grad or if I'm staring down a graduation right now, then that's something really important to know. Mm-hmm. The second way you can do this is a little easier. It requires less data comprehension. Is just go to a job board and type in now hiring into the search and type in your location. You can type in remote or mm-hmm. your location. Mm-hmm. Hit enter and you'll get people who are hiring right now. Sort it by most recent postings. And you can see who's actually hiring. Because I think that's the other thing that most people are doing is they're self-sabotaging. Oh, no one is hiring. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't apply. No one's hiring. That's a lie. It's not true. It's not true. I know for a fact. I had two calls yesterday with people who are filling call centers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that that's like, you know, a job that everyone does, but 700 jobs between two people. Um, first job out of school and during a pandemic, it might not be such a bad place to start. Sounds pretty perfect. I mean, customer service gives you an excellent uh, experience base. I was just about to say that, you know, we were talking about how your skills could be so variable. Yes. Call center is actually one of the most flexible because I can tell you right now, being a marketing intern at a (laughs) hot startup, guess what you're going to learn how to do? Excel, (laughs) typey, typey. The other thing that I tell people, and this is a practice that I have employed every single time I've lost a job, every single time I've started a company, every single time I've had an idea that I wanted to launch in my company that I thought was important. And this is how you network remotely. So listen up, folks. (laughs) So what you're going to do is you're going to call three people you would work for again. I just want you to send them a message and check on them. You are not... In this first message, you are not telling them, I got laid off and everything is going wrong and my whole life is falling apart. No. Hi, how are you? It's been too long. Mm -hmm. I know I have a lot of free time on my hands (laughs) thanks to this pandemic. Do you? Mm -hmm. The end. Four, 
You're going to get on that phone. You're going to ask them what they're up to. You're going to ask them what they remember about working together. And then you're going to ask them who they've been working with, who they think is great. Listen, shut up. I cannot emphasize this enough. If you are a job seeker right now and you're calling people to network, do not spend 45 minutes on a one hour call explaining all of your career aspirations. Uh-uh. Shut up and listen. Ask questions. Yep. Be prepared to ask questions. Call four every single week. I will tell you that the difference between the parts of my career where I didn't have four people to call and the parts of my career where I did, yeah. it made a tremendous difference in the amount of time between when I was laid off and the time that I started my new gig. Okay, so the first time I did this, I was unemployed for about 12 weeks. The second time I used this, I had a job within three weeks. The third time I had it within four days. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Take it. Steal that idea. (laughs) And I think you're also speaking to overall the the concept of networking that actually you want to stay in touch with the people that that have impacted you and that you care about. Mm -hmm. That's why I added that filter about it's someone you would work for again. It is not someone you know. It's not someone you want to work for. Mm-hmm. It, it is simply someone you would, you would consider working for again. Mm-hmm. That's it. And I would say definitely all the things you said, a hundred percent. And at some point in the conversation, you can mention that you're looking. It's not like the taboo topic. It's just not the first topic, diarrhea of the mouth and woe is me. And then I, and this happened and that happened. And oh my God, I'm freaking out. I can't pay my rent. Don't lead with that. Don't Please lead don't. with that. No. Yeah. I call it scars versus wounds. Yeah. Scars are cool. <laughs> wounds are gross. <laughs> yeah, scars are scars are at least partially healed, right? Yes. <laughs> exactly. And that's why you have to take the time to like simmer. It's yeah. a memory. You cannot make these calls when you are in panic mode. Uh-uh. And it's okay however long that takes, but I cannot emphasize that enough. Don't start calling people when you're panicking. Uh-uh. Yeah. Call your friends. If you're panicked, Call your close friend, call your, you know, the people on your board of advisors that you're confident will, will take a call from you when you're a little off kilter. And especially the people that know how to get you back into a grounded space. And when in doubt, fake it till you make it. Like you got to put on the big boy or big girl pants and you've got to get into that positive space and tell negative Nelly to check themselves at the door. Like even if you're panicking, never let them see a sweat. Exactly. Not on that call. You want to be super careful if you do go into a conversation where you're vulnerable with someone, make sure it's someone you know you can trust. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because ultimately, I'm making a decision about if I want to put this person in front of someone I trust. Mm -hmm. And trust is currency, especially Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Right? I don't know when I'm going to need to make that call again. Mm -hmm. I don't know when I'm going to need to talk to that person for my own needs, mm-hmm. right? And so you're, you really are asking for that favor of, of trust. Mm-hmm. Trust is weighted. It's, Absolutely. it's, it is not like, and you want to trust that you're making a good impression and that this person does like you. So that's why that listening, see how they're engaged there when they're, how are you? What's going on? Like if they're kind of cold, they're not your person mm-hmm. unless they've always been cold. And that's a personality flaw, but <laughs> generally you've got to read the temperature really carefully. And that's why having them talk in the beginning will show you how warm and open they are to you. 100%. Good advice. So let's talk about looking online. 
and, you know, looking at job boards and like, let's talk about that process. You worked at Monster, which was the monster of all job boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, Back in the day. Mm-hmm. And let's say a company hasn't hired you, so their job descriptions kind of suck, but maybe it's a good place to work. Like, how can someone evaluate jobs that they're finding online? Yeah. So right now you're actually really lucky because there's an immense amount of information available Mm -hmm. because everyone's talking. Yeah. You work somewhere and they treat you poorly. There's probably some social media out there. Mm -hmm. If they treat you well, there's probably some social media out there. And so I would say, take the traditional paths, right? Do your glass door research, look at the company website. Sometimes I like to dig. So look at the career site, but also check like in about us and just scan it and see what it sounds like. Like, do you feel anything when you read that? That matters. Um, Because I think that ultimately they are showing you their culture, whether it's the best version or not. Um, But go out and search social media sites and be a little sneaky y'all. Cause I, I mean, there's a ton of information out there, a ton of people talking and you can go deeper than a press release right now. Oh God. Yeah. And Glassdoor, Hello. Like what are they saying? And right. there's the good and the bad. And you've got the disgruntled person who is negative about everybody. But if ever, you know, if the Company has a 2.3 glass door, it probably sucks. Yeah. No matter how good their branding page is. Exactly. Exactly. And they probably don't pay people well either because clearly people have a lot of time on their hands. Right. So as a hiring manager or internal recruiter, how how can one make job postings attractive enough and wide enough to attract talent, but also specific enough to not, you know, get a a thousand resumes in the in the box. (laughs) Yep. So to me, it's about following the structure. And so a little background, I've written thousands of job postings, literally thousands. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so this is kind of what I've come up with after all of that. And this is what I call the the three years media signature structure to a job posting. Uh, And I actually have a book about this on my website. I'll make sure to give you guys the link and it'll be in whatever session notes or anything that Mm -hmm. they offer. But so The way that I do it is it's four parts. So the first thing that you do in every job is you write what I call a job pitch. And the job pitch is three things. You help blank do blank by blanking. (laughs) What is the purpose? Right, right. I help customers Mm -hmm. sort out financial issues so that they can buy more crap. I don't know, right? Something simple. The next thing is every day you will. Give me like three or four things they're going to do every single day to thrive in this job. You must. And that's your deal breaker. That's your don't even apply. If you don't have this degree, this Mm -hmm. to thrive in this job, you must have worked in a warehouse environment with food production Mm -hmm. in the Savannah, Georgia, whatever. Like I'm making this up. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's paragraph one. It's called the job pitch. It sells the job really quick. The thing you would say if somebody was sitting next to you and you knew they were qualified. The elevator speech in 30 seconds, yeah, right? Yeah. Exactly. The second thing is going to be an about us, inevitably. And frankly, if your marketing team is a pain in your butt, just use whatever paragraph they give you. Um, if you have more flexibility, I want you to take the marketing about us and make it about the people. Mm-hmm. So I don't mm-hmm. want to see, we raised $5 billion in funds to acquire 23 companies. It's like, we work with 5,000 people around the world mm-hmm. who help do this. 
And we're a smart and fun team. Yes. Yeah. The third paragraph is a little variable. So you're going to change your little subject line based on what you actually tell them. But it's what I call a skill story. So instead of writing a list of experiences and what I call a rich kid's wish list, right? I want a scooter and a car and a telephone and a, a office. And I'd like you to know SQL and this and this, right? It's not like that. It's describing experiences they've had that prepare them for this job. So when I do go to a hiring manager to write a job posting, I'll ask, what are they doing right now that would be preparing them? Mm-hmm. That's what I write right there. Mm-hmm. It's usually fewer than seven bullets because more than seven will push away diverse candidates. They opt That's out. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last paragraph is any EEO, anything your lawyer tells you to do. Mm-hmm. That honestly, if you just follow that formula, whatever you have now translated into that, it will be tenfold better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. So I'm going to be devil's advocate. And so what if I'm a hiring manager, but I'm in giant company X and I have all of these forms that TPS reports and forms and all that. And I'm like, I want to follow Katrina's approach, but I'm stuck. Like, what can I do personally maybe to market my job or make my job stand out when corporate makes it look boring? (laughs) I love it. Um, So oftentimes corporate will actually back down a little bit if you write it yourself. Mm. And I know that hiring managers like, but that formula is pretty simple, right? I literally just gave you prompts for every single sentence. And then I told you to take your qualifications and requirements and just give me a list of five things they've done before. Okay. If you do that and you bring that to them, this is what they're actually going to do because I've worked with these companies before is that they're going to take their ugly template. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm air creating a sandwich. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> this is my air sandwich. And so they're going to take their template, which is the bread, and they're going to stick what you wrote in the middle mm-hmm. because uh, most of those systems are set up as this very plug and play system where you go into something like success factors or a big tool and it says, put qualifications here and Mm -hmm. you type it in and you hit next. And then it says, put this here, type it in, click next. That's basically what's going to happen is you just kind of have to take the reins because if yours is better and it works, they'll take it any day. And just like when you're applying online and it says cut and paste your experience or cut and paste your education, it's the same thing on the posting side. And so... So if you read a, a job description that seems a little disjointed, like it seems all corporate and wordy on what, and then it seems kind of cool. And then it seems corporate and wordy. You just know that Katrina, like she was there and she tagged it. <laughs> I'm like the job posting ghost. Like, <laughs> so Katrina, what's next for you? Yeah. So I'm actually right now working on a lot of courses and ways to take all the things that I've learned by doing this a million times and creating some on-demand courses where you know, recruiters and people who want to elevate their skill can actually take advantage of things without having to worry about you know, a webinar slot or <laughs> um, affording coaching that might be a little outside of the box. The other thing that I'm working on that I'm really excited about is a course about how to write to get promoted. Because oh, that's great. Um, you actually mentioned this. I don't know if it was before or after we hit the record button cap, <laughs> but I think so many people sit on that line where they have such incredible skills and they're so talented, but they're writing, they have the block between their head and their hands. Right. And I think right. that I can truly help people elevate their career 
elevate the potential that they have and elevate the way that people look at them Mm -hmm. by helping them with some really core communications and doing some custom coaching for people uh, based on the writing that we know we do most often. Things like emails, PowerPoints, Mm -hmm. even your social media. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That sounds like a super helpful class for, you know, for anyone who wants to progress their career. So you'll have that on your website when it's ready. Absolutely. It's coming very soon. Awesome. Good. Maybe by the time we release this, it'll be there. So (laughs) now I have motivation. Go check out Katrina's website, Mm -hmm. which is, tell us where, where we can find you. Yeah. It's three earsmedia.com. So three is in the number spelled out ears as in the ones on your head media. And that's a lot of ease in the middle. It's three ears, three ears. (laughs) Got it. Got it. Excellent. Yeah. I have the other perk of being the only Katrina Kibben in the world, which is very rare. Yes. Yes. Uh, And so if you spell my name right, you 100% will find me. You'll probably find something a little embarrassing too, if you dig far. (laughs) And where can people find you on social media? Yeah. So it's a very creative social media name. It's Katrina Kibben (laughs) on everything, uh, on YouTube, on Instagram. And most often you'll find me rambling away on Twitter. Great. Well, Katrina, thank you so much for coming and joining us today. No, this was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And it was fun for us too. So thank you. This is Real Job Talk, a podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and Real Job Talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Real Job Talk. And on Instagram and Facebook at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kat Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat, And on LinkedIn, you can find me via Kathleen Nelson Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm at Liz Beaks and Salt. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is a tech reckoning production. Our producer is John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And we're here by the water cooler waiting to talk with you. <laughs>